I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. And I'm also very excited because when I first came up with the idea of Meta, I wrote a big list of my favorite podcasters and who I'd love to speak to. And I'm speaking to one of them today. Kara Swisher has been working the technology beat for over 20 years. She is one of the most powerful and intimidating technology reporters in the world, I would say, uh, and has been instrumental in the discovery and also destruction of some of technology's biggest names. Kara Swisher, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I've destroyed no one ever. Go ahead. (laughs) They destroy themselves. I, I just stand by and watch. That is true. That is true. You just shine a light on um, behavior. Shine a light. That's what I do. So the first time I discovered your work, Kara, was the famous sweaty Zuckerberg interview. Uh, For the listeners who out there who may not know what that is, uh, can you talk me through that interview? And was that a moment that really elevated you? Uh, I think, no, I think that here's what it was, is I did an interview. I did, I've done many interviews with Mark Zuckerberg, including that one. And so I, uh, that was back with Walt Mossberg. I think it was 2008. It was around when the movie was coming out. So mm-hmm. I can't remember the, the social network movie. So it's 10 years ago. And I had done interviews with him before many interviews. And in that particular one, he, he, we started talking about privacy and I think he was nervous. I think he was a little sick, I guess, feverish in some way. And he started really getting nervous about, especially Walt's questions about privacy. And so he started sweating profusely, so much so that we were worried he was going to faint. I'll be honest. That's what really what was happening there is that he looked really in distress. And so I had heard he had some fainting problems earlier. And so I didn't want him to fall down on the ground. And so we sort of tried to get him to calm down, like to, to he wasn't he wasn't be screaming or anything like that. He was just really in distress with the sweat and the, um, his face was getting pale. And so uh, we tried to sort of back off by getting him to take off his hoodie and trying to calm him down a little bit because he was, it was sort of a panic attack situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but what we were talking about were very serious issues, which continue this day, which was the privacy issues around Facebook and it, its continued abuse of its users and use of the data it gets from its users. And so it was interesting at the time you know, we kind of felt bad for Mark because he, he was definitely in distress. But at the same time, we were talking about an issue that continues to this day to be a really significant issue when it comes to Facebook, which is how it manipulates and uses the data of the of of its of its customers, essentially. And back in 2008, not a lot of people were talking about those kind of things when it came to no. Facebook. There were there was, no. uh, you know, we, we all looked at big tech as this thing that we, we believed the mantra that they were there to mm-hmm. you know put a dent in the universe and change the world and bring people together. Okay, we didn't, but okay, we didn't <laughs> at the time. I think it was rather clear from the beginning that Facebook, yeah, Facebook was there to to harvest data about people, and you know from its very beginnings it had data issues, it had privacy issues, and so anyone who was following it really watched very carefully about how much data they were collecting and what they were using it for. They had a thing called Beacon in the early days. You don't remember which it was collecting information of things you bought. Um, they they were always sort of on the cutting edge of how can we steal information 
uh, and use it to our advantage for our advertising business. And at the time, I remember Walt Mossberg, who was my partner at All Things D, called them, uh, you know, information thieves. And he kept calling them that. And I really, it did, really did strike me that he was absolutely correct is that their business, instead of being predicated on bringing people together, was bringing people together so you could harvest as much data about them and uh, and then use it for your own purposes. And uh, against the backdrop of we're all here to build community mm. when it, and we're all in it together when, in fact, the only people that really benefited were the owners of Facebook. Yeah. And you've talked about Walt, Walt Mossberg quite a bit um, on all mm-hmm. of the shows I've, I've listened to about, sure. um, you know, him being uh, both a boss and a mentor. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about um, the special place in your heart that Walt, Walt has? Yeah, well, he wasn't boss. He actually was the, was a really well-known technology journalist who did reviews. He was a reviewer. He was the very first, I think, really power re- reviewer at the Wall Street Journal. And so he and I were of the same mind about how important these internet companies were to become at a time when a lot of people sort of doubted the internet was a business at all or, or that these companies would end up as anything major. And so both of us shared that. And so together, we really were trying really hard to hold these leaders' feet to the fire, to explain it to people, to give people sort of an insight of what was to come. Um, And so Walt really was on the cutting edge of understanding how these technology, what they meant for the average person rather than the the fanboy or the tech the techie. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we spent a lot of time trying to, I remember us having a conversation saying, the way we wanted to, we ran a conference called All Things D, and then it later became the Code Conference, was we want to talk not about, you know, tech, but how does tech affect sports? How does it affect movies? How does it affect, uh, you know, social communication? How does it affect politics? So we were always thinking of tech under the lens of its impact, just the way if you were covering covering electricity, you wouldn't be covering the bulb, you'd be covering about what it what it does. Mm. You know, it's a very similar thing. The advent of electricity was fascinating, but the bulb is hardly the point. You know, it's what yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and um, have you tried to be the Walt for someone else in your life? Have you tried to play yeah. that mental role? Yeah. I mean, I think I've mentored a lot of people like who have become gone on like Mike Isaac from the, um, mm-hmm. uh, who's now at the New York Times doing an amazing job. He's written a great book about Uber and, and he covers Facebook and other things. There's lots of reporters uh, that have come out of uh, both from Walt and I who come out of all things uh, D and the code and code to go on to great stuff. Um, mm. Joanna Bouillon is now at the Los Angeles Times. There's, you know, you could look around and see Mark Bergen is at Bloomberg. Um, uh, Kurt Wagner is now at Bloomberg. Um, they've all sort of, I think they got a lot of training at, mm. uh, at Recode and then went on. Uh, we're really good at discovering really talented people. What uh, is that? What, what, what knack do you have there to do? To, to, what is it um, about a, a young up and coming cadet that, that you see? Cadet. I don't know if they're cadets. <laughs> they weren't all young, by the way. Just, well, yeah. it wasn't, age was not an issue. I mean, it was in journalism today, mentorship is sort of dead in a lot of ways. You know, I, when I was at the Washington Post, I had all these mentors, right? All these, mm. you know, there was a mentor system that was in place, whether you were an intern or something else, but you definitely had a path, you know, that you didn't get ahead of your skis, you moved up, you, you got training and things like that. And that kind of sort of died mm. um, in a lot of ways in the rush. And a lot of people who did, didn't have enough experience got too much responsibility. There wasn't enough uh, oversight and things like that. But we thought it was really important to give a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of, um, you know, help in figuring out how to become better. So we did all kinds, you know, whether it was editors or, you know, John Patchkowski's at BuzzFeed, there's just, we were just trying to sort of build a group of people who could 
what you'd see promise. Like I remember Mike, you know, I think he came from Wired in the back door. He was in one of the back closets of Wired, you know, at the time, <laughs> Wired.com. And we had actually, it was interesting because we had a choice of someone who was much better known than him to hire. And we wanted to pick him because we thought he had the kind of real drive that yeah. really looked like he could be really curious and wanted to work his ass off to really figure it all out. Um, you know, you see, you, you just see promise in certain people who have, um, uh, you know, Shireen Ghaffari right now is about, she just texted me actually, uh, because she's doing a podcast now. And she started off helping me figure out some shows I did for NBC and do it as an intern and things like that. And so now she's doing her own podcast about Land of the Giants on, I think it's on Google. I can't know they did Google. I forget. I think it's Google. Um, and, you know, she, she, you could just see how much she was going to, at, at, at the smaller work that you could see her moving on to and to what you're doing. So right now she's at today, she just wrote me asking for advice on what we should cover in the next land of the giants. And I'm, we're always happy to do that. And I had that happen to me, not just with Walt, but lots and lots and lots of people over my career. And so I feel it's really important to, Mm. to do that. Now I don't like to manage anybody anymore. (laughs) I'm really staff zero as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have a really good group of people working at the times podcast, for example, uh, but I, uh, but someone else manages them because I really can't manage people anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't want to. It, don't look, want that, to. that sounds just so different to the world that I live in, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just quickly, I'll say, um, like I, I, for the last five years, I've written a column, a tech column for a major newspaper in this country. I've never mm-hmm. set foot in the door. I've never right. um, of the building. I've never had any kind of mentoring. I mean, it, it's a lovely place, and there are lovely people. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's it just feels like that is like I, I felt yeah. that I've had to go out and discover my my kind yeah. of personal mentors like you, for instance, that I that I've I've looked up to. Well, I think it's really important. I mean, like for example, the Casey Newton's a good example. He works the Verge now. He's struck out on his own. He's doing this new Substack thing that he's doing for his amazing newsletter. He he happens to be a tenant of mine in San Francisco of all things, but that's not why. But we used to sit up at night and talk about his entrepreneurship. And I was always pushing, you know, he he didn't want to leave the safety of a job. And for a while, I said, you need to stay there. So you get more training and you work on how to do a newsletter. And he had a podcast that didn't work. And he, you know, at first he's like, oh, that didn't work. And I'm like, so what? Do something else. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do you like? And he loved newsletters. So we tried that. And he got so good at the interface that he now has this new newsletter thing he's trying on his own. And at the same time, I'm like, keep relationships with The Verge. Do this. You know what I mean? You don't have to. One of the things I try to tell people in their career, you don't have to pick and choose. You know what I mean? And also you can leave things and come back to them and shift around and it doesn't have to be this sort of this sort of exact march up the ladder you can sort of if you if you appeal to the things because he was really getting an itch for entrepreneurship and Mm -hmm. and and I was like scratch that itch and if it doesn't work (laughs) go back like or don't go back just do something else and so I think it's super important for people especially people who have look compared to most people on this planet tech reporters have it good and they don't have to worry about like taking risks. Taking risk is hardly a risk for most people, the people we know. And so what I always say is like, whenever I feel like I want to do something different, I just do it. I'm like, I'm just switching. Because if you don't, you really sort of get tired and old and really just not very good. And this feels like the, you know, the perfect time to to try Mm -hmm. something new. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Why not? You know, I just think it's really you know, if you have a passion for something and I know you can't eat on passion, but you really can't, you can't like any decision I've ever made in my career where I pick what I like has always worked out. 
Do you know what I mean? Something I enjoy doing versus not. Mm-hmm. And anytime I pick something that I didn't like, it never works out. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to, they're words to live by. But let's talk about Silicon Valley for a little bit. Sure. We're going to go through all of your shows because I'm a massive fan. You know <laughs> I have that. a lot of them. Yes, uh, but we'll, we'll start We'll start with Recode Decode. Yeah. Actually, before we get to that, I just want to know, Silicon Valley men, and it always seems yeah. to be men. <laughs> don't um, ask me. <laughs> sorry. Okay, I don't know what your question is. Go ahead. Uh, what do, What is it about them that what kind of- What is it? No, Something Jerry know. Seinfeld. <laughs> I what know, is I it know, about Silicon th- th- There seems to be this idea that Silicon Valley men seem to be from the outside really unaccountable. Like they, they walk around, I'm, I'm just thinking of not every man, of course, not yeah. all men hashtag, yeah. but it's it's like the, the Travis Kalanicks, the Elon Musks, the Adam Newmans out there. Yeah. What is it about Silicon Valley that can create that kind of ego and that kind of- <sighs> I think it's changing. Let me just say, I think younger entrepreneurs are very different. You know what I mean? You're not going to see a lot of Travis's anymore. I don't think anyone is trying to pattern match on that guy. Um, You know, he's actually doing some very successful things, of course, because he's a creative person. But, Mm. you know, I think it's this, what I thought it was, and I do think it's changing. I absolutely think it's changing. There are other leaders that are not like this, who are men. I do think initially it created a a playground of people, right? It's a playground. And so they treated them like juveniles. They talked about them like juveniles. They mm-hmm. talked about them, you know, as a mother of sons, they were very loose. The metric was in terms of what they were allowed to do well before they were able to do them. And mm-hmm. so that's why you resulted in all these shitty companies with all these bad HR policies or none at all, or sexual harassment or whatever. It's because they gave all these people with no skills responsibility for serious adult things. And so I think that's changed. I do think that's changed. I think there's been a professionalization of people. Now, look, there's still enormous problems in Silicon Valley as with other industries, but it's definitely shifted in terms of not being the thing you want to be. I don't see people bragging when they do jerky things anymore or, you know, or saying things like, you know, uh, hustle porn, whatever, you know, you don't see that. I think, I think a lot of people have been talking out against it. So I don't, I don't, I think it's just the juvenilization of men that takes place there. Yeah. And therefore, they treat them like it's. I'm always fascinated. And I push back on it when they're like, "What about Sheryl Sandberg?" I'm like, "Mark controls the entire company. He has every share that matters." They're like, "But Cheryl," and I'm like, "And yet Mark controls the whole company, and he can't be fired, and he controls the board." And but Cheryl, and I'm like, "Yeah, she's an employee. Like, mm. why are we focusing? Because she's the adult." I'm like, "He's the owner of everything. He's yeah. the." And for some reason, it's sort of like, well, yeah, but he's a kid. And I'm like, he has children. He's, it's fascinating to, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you can't hide behind the hoodie she, for so long. Like. Right. And I was like, Cheryl is problematic too, but boy, I'm going to go, I'm going to focus on the guy who has all the power, if you don't mind. Like, that's Can you explain that to people focus. who might not understand the, this Mark concept? Mark Zuckerberg of, has shares of, in Facebook, just yeah. like at Google, just like at Snapchat, lots of companies where the, the founder tends to have shares that have more voting power, and therefore they completely control the company. It's like a kingship, essentially. Mm. Um, and they cannot be displaced. They cannot be fired. They, the board cannot do anything about them. And the only reason they leave is because they feel like it. And that, again, has to create a certain type yeah. of power in, in you that, that um, if you know that you can't be fired, then you, you might be a little more prone. Right. You know better. Yeah. You know better. It's like, it's, you know, if you have to be elected or if you can be fired, it does, it's a governing tool on people's behavior. If you consolidate power and cannot be removed, 
you have a problem because you're never going to get good information from people around you because they're beholden to you. And I just, I just, as a practice, it's not a good one. And it's a, I wrote a whole column about this is that, you know, the children of Mark Zuckerberg can't be fired. The children, Mm. like, you know, this, listen, like the New York times has this, the others do, but he's not the same thing as, you know, they sort of treat it like a public trust. Mark Zuckerberg does not treat his company like a public trust. So uh, I'm not for any inherited companies because I think, you know, things go astray when you get your job because you're, you were born essentially, but, um, but you do tend to, you know, in this case, he wasn't. There's a fairly good example of that, isn't there in America right now? There's lots which one? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I think that they, I think, you know, if there's no pushing back, how do you receive pushback? Why would, why would pushing back matter at all? And so I think in a company like Facebook, even though they think they're having robust dialogues, they're not having robust dialogues. They're just arguing in front of the King. So, okay. Mm. That that makes me want to ask then who is who is more either destructive or dangerous to democracy, Mark Zuckerberg or Rupert Murdoch? Oh wow, that's a choice, huh? Um, I think Murdoch willfully does it. I think Mark thinks he's not doing it and is doing it, so probably Mark. You know, because he doesn't. I think he has good intentions, which mm. the road to hell, as you know. I think Rupert Murdoch is the most malevolent force in media in this century. In mm-hmm. this last two centuries, Mur- Murdoch hands and he's got runs on the board. Yeah, hands down, Murdoch because he willfully does it. He knows what he's doing, and he uh, he plans it, um, and he knows the damage. But the size of Fox News compared to Facebook and the influence and impact—it's not even—it's a drop in the bucket. Mm. You know, Fox News angers a lot of old people in Florida and my mom. So uh, <laughs> it's a small audience. When something goes on, it gets maybe maybe amplified by the Facebooks of the world, but the Facebooks are the ones that amplify it. So I would say Mark. Yeah, and it, it also feels like, I mean, you know, at, at least with with Fox News and, and, you know, Murdoch owns a lot of the papers down here as well. And at least there, when when it's so blatant and so terrible, it's obvious though, and it's in broad daylight. So you can either see it and ignore it, or you can have the discussion with your mother down in Florida about how, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't be injecting bleach or whatever. But when, when mm-hmm. those conversations are happening in small Facebook groups or off the main, you don't see them. And, yeah, yeah. They're, they're much, they're just the size, the, the, the massive size of it, I think is the problem. It's, it's so everywhere. The tentacles are everywhere. Remember, let me just underscore, he, I call him uncle Satan. Um, <laughs> he really is the most malevolent and, force that, is, that have, has tarnished and diminished our society more than any other media figure in history. And I'm, and that's, that's including William Randolph Hearst. So I do not want to diminish that, that person's negative space on our planet on, in so many ways. But if you're going by impact, you got to say, you got to pick Facebook in size and scope and amplification and weaponization. Mm. Facebook is the one that has done the most damage or will have done the most damage. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, let's let's move on to Rico Deco because that's quite okay. depressing. Um, and uh, there there are certain interviews in that series that I feel are so memorable that I can actually remember. This is so rare for a podcast, but I can remember exactly where I was when I heard certain interviews mm-hmm. you did. So Jennifer uh, Eberhardt, for instance, talking about the hidden bias in tech. Um, I mm-hmm. found I found the uh, the co-founders of Foursquare to be a really fascinating discussion just because it was so different to what I saw as the public facing company, what they were Mm -hmm. doing in the background. Um, What what are some of your favorites from the archives? From Rico Decode? Well, you know, you have to look at the big ones. I think the Mark one that I did a couple of years ago where he talked about, um, 
where we had an argument over his impact in Myanmar and India, where he couldn't take responsibility for it when he said that people, Holocaust deniers didn't mean to lie. Mm -hmm. I just was sort of perplexed. That was a great interview because he actually told the truth about what he was thinking or the fact that his, his opinions were so ill-formed that he didn't, he hadn't thought about them clearly enough, given his, his responsibility and his power. Um, I thought I've done a lot of great Elon interviews. I just did another one for the New York Times thing that I think they've been really interesting and you get real insight into him. I, I, I have always liked the one I did with Kathy Griffin. I know it sounds crazy, but she's, it's easy to make, it's easy because she's just a comic, like what does it matter? But I thought her talking about the impact of after she did that unfortunate joke, what Mm. happened to her, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the attack she got, especially from our government was really quite amazing. I was sort of, that was, I think people were surprised. Some of the ones with, you know, Tristan Harris or Chamath Palihapitiya or even Scott Galloway have been really interesting. Uh, I think my favorite is the one with Nicole Wong from Google and she was a lawyer at Google and Twitter, I thought, and and Shoshana Zuboff. I think both of them sort of underscored the impact of these social media companies and tech companies on society in a way that was super articulate in terms of what was happening. And then Jaron Lanier, I, I really liked that interview, but I've liked a lot of them. I liked the Hillary Clinton ones. I like whoever I just talked to last. That's how. <laughs> um, I talked and- to Killer Mike today. That oh, was fantastic. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a lot. He's a, what are your what what are your tips for uh, being a good interviewer then? Because the, the, you you manage to pull out some amazing um, conversations and amazing insights for, for, from your guests. Well, I think it's interesting because I'm switching now to the time, so I feel like I'm being a little too careful now. I was just thinking about this. I, today, I did not. I was not. Um, and so, I, one of the things I did there is we started Rico Decode five, six years ago with an intern of me. We just said, "Let's try it. Like, let's do it." And I already had a lot of experience doing interviews on on stage at code conferences and all things D conferences. And so, I, I already had an interview experience. But we what wanted to do is those were all sort of the big wigs, and we we had you know, we did three a week for five years. So we got like 500, some we got 500 and some of them. And so we get kind of good at it and you start to reach down to people that are very influential that you don't know about. And so I think that's, was really it. And especially when you didn't do a lot of editing and you do, you just have real conversations and you don't do a ton of prep, but you know, you know, you know, who your people you're interviewing are that you really do sort of get a fresh conversation with Mm. them. And so I tended not to prepare questions. I tended to have a, you know, I read their books if they had books or I I was aware of who they were or or the big issues and everything else. But what I tried to do was go in with like, what would, what do I really want to know here? What do I want to know from them? I didn't spend a lot of time listening to their other interviews, which I probably should have, but I didn't. The only reason to do so might be to figure out what their little talking points were. Um, and I tended to try to get rid of talking points pretty quickly. I'd let them do it. And then I'd go, okay, those are talking points. Let's have a real conversation. And I think that disarms people when you say that. Yeah. I've noticed one of the, the great styles. I, I mentioned it once to you on Twitter and you, mm-hmm. uh, you said that you, you got a lot of criticism for it, but the, the, the Kara Swisher in, interruption, which is just so yes. great. Um, you know, like the, one of the things you're always taught about, um, as an interviewer is just give people space and let them answer. And then you, you Mm -hmm. are, you do that, of course, but you're always willing to jump in and say, mate, that's wrong. Just come on. Yes. 
Yeah, I do. The interruption. I you know a lot of people don't like it. I get a lot of feedback. I don't look at my feedback that much, but every every time I dip into podcasting, you know, whatever the reviews, it's like she interrupts. How dare she interrupt Elon? He's brilliant. Then I'm like, fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? It's so funny because it's always like, how can that girl talk yeah. back to our God? Right? How yeah. dare she without getting struck down by a lightning bolt? He doesn't mind at all. By the way, the interviewers. Let me just say for everyone who says Karis Fisher interrupts too much. They like it. They do. They like the back and forth because they never get pressed on. And so I actually, after, I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry I interrupted. They're like, no, I liked it. It made me think. You know what I mean? It's interesting that listeners, some listeners like it. Others really don't like it. But I think when someone's saying something that's ridiculous, if you don't say in a regular conversation at dinner, you'll, you'd go like, that's ridiculous. Like what you just said. You wouldn't Ooh, yeah. just sit there and like eat your shrimp. You know, you'd say something. <laughs> And, so and that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Absolutely. No, I, I love the flow, but I, I just always think that if I'm going to listen to one of your shows, I need to make sure that I'm not doing anything else at all because right. I'll, I'll right. have to constantly go back. And, that, and that's the sign for me of a good show. Like I'd, I'd rather mm-hmm. not have something just background noise. Okay. So so one of the, the bigger, probably not big at the time, one of the most impactful uh, interviews was with Scott Galloway because that uh, formed yes. the show Pivot. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I loved you mocking him the other day that you discovered him, but I do think that's I true. Did. I'd never heard but of the, the man. But it's so, it's so. It's I sadly foisted him upon the world. See, there's a good example. There's a good example. Who I could have had a lot of people be my co-hosts, which was interesting. There were all kinds of well-known people that wanted to do it. And I had seen him at DLD, uh, the conference, and he was so insightful about things I knew about. And I was, mm-hmm. and I hadn't, and I was like, he has three thoughts I didn't think of, which I was like, that's not, you don't see that often because most people tell me things. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he had three or four insights that I was like, wow, I didn't think about that. Wow. Like several times during a one presentation. And so and that was unusual for one. Then he was funny and sort of funny in a way that was dirty a little bit, like kind mm-hmm. of just like bad. Like he's just like, uh, he thinks what he was right on his, the tip of his mind that most people edit out. So I like that about him. And so I, I called him and said, would you like to be on the main Recode Decode? And he came on and he did that Amazon prediction where he said, Amazon is now a Whole Foods. And we had the best conversation and it was so back and forth and we had such a chemistry. It was weird. Mm. And, uh, you know, we have pretty big numbers for a Tim Cook interview or an Elon Musk interview. They get pretty big numbers, but that got huge numbers. And I was like, no one's ever heard of him and it got huge numbers. And it was really, so I'm like, that was just weird because he had that prediction. And so I had him on again. I'm like, I'm going to test this. And again, people loved our back and forth, loved Hmm. it because we interrupt each other and he talks more than me of all things. And so it was really, it was fascinating that people liked our repartee really more than anything. And I brought out a lot of insights in him. He slapped back at me. It was a really good back and forth. And so I thought when I was looking to, to mount pivot, Lauren Good left to go to Wired. I thought that guy, he and I are, have got something going on. And so it's turned out, you know, he's super insightful. 
Sometimes he goes over the edge. I slap him back. I get a good insight out of him and then we're out, you know what I mean? Which is good. And so it was just one of those moments where we could have gone a whole different, and if I had a lot of people on one of these important teams where you have to sort of test everything, I just Mm -hmm. got to decide myself. I'm like, that's who I'm going to do it with. And so it was a real testament to listening to my own instincts on people because on, on paper, he's not the one you want to pick. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 what I think I said this story in one of the things someone said to me, you know, he's offensive. I I want someone, (laughs) one of the things and I'm like, "Uh Mm uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, he's offensive. I'm like, okay, your point being like, what's your point? And they're like, well, he's offensive. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. You know, startling insight. And I was like, no, he's not. He's just, he's just, he really does express himself in a really interesting and unusual way. And so if I had listened to, if I had group thought the whole thing out, it never would have happened. Yeah, I think think one of the things I really love about him is the you can never you can never predict exactly what's going to come out of his mouth. Like yeah. uh sometimes it'll be the most kind of um socially progressive uh yeah. single mothers are the the, the greatest uh, force yeah. in our country. His, his mother was a single mother. Yeah, you know, absolutely. His mom. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it'll be, you know, Amazon needs to be destroyed or whatever it is. It's just, yeah, yeah. You, you can never pinpoint yeah. exactly what it's going to be. And if, and, it, yeah. and the, uh, it will even change from the start of the, even a, a rant to the end of the rant. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so that's why I like, that's what I love about him. I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I think that he's in one show, he has six or seven insights that everybody else's wish they could have. And he kind of throws them away. He kind of tosses off really big insights with a lot of ease. And so he's quite wise in his non-wise way. (laughs) But I think I manage him really well. I think that's what's great about the relationship is I think I get him to another level. Mm. And get him to move on when when he is going a little bit uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because, you know, I've written about you guys a a bunch of times and tried to get as many people as possible to listen to Pivot because I just, Mm -hmm. I find it so fascinating. It's it's my favorite podcast of the week. And the feedback I constantly get is either absolute love or absolute hate. Hate, exactly. Yeah. Why did you send me to these people? They're crazy and they just yell at each other all the time and I just can't stand it. Or, oh my God, this is, I I now have to listen to the entire back catalogue. Well, I was interested in how many people say things to me, like I got married this weekend and someone went by, ran by where I was outside because it was an outside wedding. It was totally social distance and everything else was small. It was just the family. And someone ran, was jogging by and went, Kara, where's Scott? Right before my (laughs) wedding. And I was like, he's not invited. (laughs) This is a family one. He'll be invited to the big one. But it was so funny. It was like, Scott's not here. I have a life outside of Scott. And so that was like a really great moment. Yeah. That, that's when you know that uh, you've got some, yeah, some kind of chemistry Scott? going. Uh, but but let's, let's move away and talk about Sway because it is such sure. a different show yeah. to all of the shows that have come before it. Not, not just in kind of yeah. content, but in the tone you were saying earlier that possibly going a little bit, not easier, that's not the right word, but mm-hmm. uh, either way, very different tone, very different guests. Yeah. Um, how did yes. it come about? Well, you know, I really wanted to reach out beyond tech. That's one. That's for one that I really thought I wanted to talk to a lot more people. And I wanted, I felt like right now in this really twitchy world, we need insight and substance substance in the conversations we're having. And I think instead of getting into fights with people, I want to understand what they're doing. And I'm picking people particularly that aren't going to go partisan on me, right? That you're going to have like, difficult discussions with, but they're, they're helpful. And what's really interesting, like 
I wouldn't say the conversation with Nancy Pelosi was easy at all, actually. I think it was, you learned a lot about what she was up to. And I think you want to just have like, everybody calm down. What are you actually doing? Let's get away from the talking points, like away from the partisan politics and get into something like, what are you actually doing? And I don't agree with this. Or with Elon, we went back and forth on Neuralink and we went back and forth on the fact that he doesn't know who to vote for. And then he's, Mm. you know, all kinds of things we went back. Like he didn't like... The, the 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 insults about his battery technology and things like that. And so, and I just did one with Killer Micah, which was really interesting because we were talking about, you know, why should Black people vote for Biden? And he was giving an argument why they shouldn't. And so I want people to hear, or, or, or Monsef Slawi, who's doing Operation Warpseed, he's a Democrat who's been sucked up into partisan politics when they're trying to get a vaccine for the mm. country, right? And so he's got one president who's saying they're going to have it in five minutes. And of course, he knows that's not true. He's a doctor. And he, then he has other people who are like, you can't fall for that. And at the same time, he's like, we do have to make it speedy because people are dying. You can do safety and speeding, and here's how I'm going to do it. And so I want people to have these conversations on important topics, whether it's wildfires or whatever, in a way that is, I will challenge them, but I want them to answer the question and get people information. And so I just think in these twitchy times, doing constant snarkiness is Mm. exhausting to me. And I don't think it helps. I don't think it helps. You know what I mean? I want to find wisdom in, in how people use their power and maybe find a way to get people to figure out how, what is the best way to use your power going forward? And when you're doing these, these interviews, um, is there something about uh, not being on TV, not having the, the, the giant studio lights or anything that you feel is bringing a little bit more of the, the honesty? Intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we do them on Squadcast. So I do see the people I interview, just like we're seeing each other now on the Zoom thing. Um, So I find it very, very intimate. I think it's, you try, it's really, it's, I usually do most of my interviews in person. I had before COVID, uh, which is interesting. I did maybe one or two of the 500, not in person. I think there was one with Stuart Butterfield I did and, and Chris um, Sock I did distance, but everything else was in person. So there's a rapport that you have in person with people. And at the same time, what's going on on Zoom is real Zoom and we use Squadcast. There's all kinds of other ways to do it is really interesting because there is an intimacy that does evolve. Um, What's more interesting is the intimacy you have with the listener, right? Which you're trying to like that's what I'm aiming for is an intimacy mm. with the listener and trying to respect them. And so I am not interrupting as much. I'm not, it's not the Kara show. It's the show of the people I am. And because, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm pretty sassy on Twitter. I'm pretty like, I think I just like ripped Kaylee McKenna, whatever the fuck her name is. That terrible <laughs> person. I, I'm very like that. I don't, I want to have a real conversation with people that matter. And I want to know whatever job they do. I want to know what they're doing. And if you do constant attacking, we're going to, we're going to just eat each other alive. So I'm trying to pick people who want to have decent conversations. You're not going to find me in a conversation with Tom Cotton. There's no point. You're just going to, he's just going to like vomit all sorts of putrid hate at me. So why even have him? Right. Why even have him? I don't even know why they put him on in the, times, but that was another issue. That's why I didn't make that choice. Um, so I want to have, I want to find people that you're going to have, you're going to learn something. You're going to get some insight into power. You're going to have them talk about something. I think the Vinman one was the best one I've done so far, even though everybody was listening to the Elon one. Although I thought the Elon one was good. I do think the Vinman one was 
really interesting about what you do when you do the right thing and then it doesn't just doesn't matter whatsoever. Yeah. And it, it must matter be what he did. So, so, so I, I, I'll be honest and say that, yes, I have heard sure. Elon. I haven't heard the Vinman one yet, but it's, um, I do have to listen to like 50 podcasts a week. Well, only because here's someone who, who, who did the right thing and he lost. It didn't matter. Yeah. And it, it didn't well, matter. He thought he had power. He had none. And he got, he lost his career. Like who does that? Why do that? Like why take a risk in these times of totally and completely losing? I'm really interested. I want to know what that feels like. And that's what we talked about. That's fantastic. And, and what was it like for him to be suddenly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he never expected to be in the national spotlight as he was. No, he's like, there's, you can't become a loud Lieutenant Colonel in the army, in the army. You yeah. can't, he had to leave. You know, and then he started talking about his daughter and like, I wanted people to get an insight. He's a cartoon character. Everyone who's a cartoon character, I want to come to life. I want to yeah. say, look at this guy did something that we all should have done. But we don't like, why, why did he do it? Why did he take the risk? What does he have left? And does he regret it? And that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for from all these people. Um, like I just talked, when I talked to Killer Mike, I talked about why did you meet with Brian Kemp? Uh, you know, Brian Kemp pretty much stole the election and he was like, yeah, I know, but I got, he's the governor and I want things from him. And they're, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I want him to say that, like, like that's like, I want him to talk about how the he's thinking. And, yeah. yeah. And he was saying some things about Trump. I think people aren't going to like, you know, he was like, what has Joe Biden done for me? And he's, he has a point, you know, I want to, I want to hear him say well, that. So do you think you would then be able to do uh, an episode of Sway with the current president, with Donald Trump? Yes, I'd if, love to. Yeah. That might be spicier. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, the only thing I would ask him is, why do you lie so much? Like, yeah. what is, tell me, what happened to you as a kid? I want to know. I, I don't want to have sympathy for you because I think you're like a malevolent, horrible. I would mean, tell him, I think you're a horrible human being. Mm. And I don't know what's wrong with you, but. Let's talk about why I'd love to know why you do the things you do. The problem with him is he's such a malignant narcissist. It's really hard to get an answer out of him. So you're never going to get a good answer. So it's never going to matter. Like you're never going to get an honest answer out of a malignant narcissist. So that's the difficulty in that. one. Yeah. I feel that maybe 40 years ago, you might've been able to get some, some. No, he's been been lying for so long. It's crazy. The amount of lying this man does to himself with him constantly. One of the things I had when I was a really young reporter, I always say this story to young reporters. I used to think about what do people lie? Who's lying to me? Like when I'm doing an interview, what lie are they telling me? blank person from blank company. What's the lie they need to tell? The better question is, what are they lying to themselves about? What do they need to get through the day? And I think that's where I always look for is like, what's the lie this person is telling? What is the motivation of this person to say what they're saying? And that to me is where I get the real insight. What do they have to get out there? And so that's where I'm, that's what I, that's what I want you to get an insight into these people. Like, what do they have to get out there that needs saying? Slowy today, who's doing this, who's doing the, um, the the vaccine. He's head of Operation Warp Speed. Now, this is critically important to people, but he's still getting killed in Washington for still owning uh, stock, right? He mm-hmm. wanted to talk about the fact that he's not corrupt. So why do they assume he's corrupt? He's trying, he left retirement. He didn't have to do this. I want people to hear that. Like, and, and like, why do you assume I'm corrupt just because you say so? Well, come and investigate me. Come yeah. on, I'll be happy to do. And it was great. It was like, listen to that one. You'll be like, and this, and of course, this is a guy who is in charge of getting us healthy, really. Plus he's dealing with a lying president and everything else. I want to know what that's like. What is that like, sir? 
Do we have any hope? I mean, that's incredible when you say that, that of of course we need a vaccine, we need a vaccine to work, but Mm-hmm. Of course, at the same time, everyone is going to be absolutely suspicious of anything that comes out yes, of Washington in this current situation. We talked about that. How do you sell a vaccine when you when the president is kind of an anti-vaxxer? Like he, mm. he's just as bad as an anti-vaxxer. He's talking about the, the if he's making people feel like the vaccine is there's nothing there's no big deal about this about this virus. How do you get people to take a vaccine for it? I asked him that. You'll, he, he talks about it. It's not yeah. easy. And he's not, he's, he's going to have quite a time trying to get people. I think 51% of people don't want to take the vaccine. You know, it's, oh my God. It's, there's something so deeply wrong with our country right now. Maybe it always, <laughs> you know what? It always was wrong. Yeah. It's just now very obvious. I've had a theory for a while now that Twitter won't clean up its act until Donald Trump is out of office because it doesn't, you know, it, it would just be too much of an economic hit. I mean, what does clean up its act mean? Because they've done more than other people. I'll tell you. They that. have. Look, to be fair, they have. They have. But but but, but I mean that you know they too little, to be, too late. But yeah, exactly. There, there is the the rule of you know what you can say, what, what the average person can say that that crosses the line into abuse, and what the president can say that crosses the line into mm-hmm. abuse, and 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 there's there's so many fuzzy kind of definitions in that company around those kind of mm-hmm. things. Do you, do you think that, is, is that right? That, that, that Twitter is just waiting until, because right I now. I think they've got an impossible situation. It, they have, they have cracked down on Trump more just lately than anybody has. Listen, Facebook's doing nothing. Yeah. Twitter's eliminated political advertising. Not that it was a very big business, so not a not a heavy lift for them. Google's done a little more than Facebook. Facebook's done the very least. So I give them credit for at least knowing that they're causing damage and actually admitting it and trying to do something about it. But you're right. I mean, I, I did a column two years ago, a year and a half ago, where I said, okay, Twitter, what about uh, if Donald Trump starts calling for insurrection? What do you do? What about the day after the election he loses? He starts saying, take up your arms and protect me in the White House. What is that? What if, what if he gets DHS people to do what he wants? What do you know, like you need to like you need to have a plan, people of social media, including you, Twitter, because that's his main vehicle. Mm. And so all I want to do is get them thinking about what's their plan when it goes bad, because it's going to go bad. Like, that's what I've always tried to get through to these tech people. Like, what's your plan when? Um, and I think that's the problem I have with a lot of tech in Silicon Valley. It's not so much that they're boys, which they are. It's not so much that they're arrogant, which they are. But it's that they have no anticipation of consequences of what they're making, right? They have no, like when they built Facebook Live, did they know someone? Did they think that someone might use it to, you know, in New Zealand to put a, a GoPro on their head and start to broadcast murders? Mm. Did they not think that would happen? I did. I was worried. That's the first thing I thought of. That's my idea. It's like right now for our election, if our social media companies don't have a transparent plan to do something about the possibility that our president will say something batshit crazy and try to get the Proud Boys, even if the gay guys can't keep that, you know about the hashtag. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. It's beautiful. We can't depend on a bunch of fantastic looking gay guys to protect us from proud boys, right? We need to have these social media. And and by the way, boys, you're doing a beautiful job. But we do need these social media companies to understand the consequences of their tools and to protect our country from potential misuse of their tools. Um, they That's my the lack of ability to anticipate consequences has been one of the most damaging things mm. that these companies have done. Even as they've gotten richer and more powerful and more influential, they continue to be about as dumb as a box of hammers when it comes to the impact. 
Yeah, so the, the, the whole move fast and break things, uh, it, it, it kind of might work in um, when you're talking about PHP development. But Yeah, they were of- talking about something else, but I do, it's fascinating. I've always said, they've always got, it's my pitch. They say something dumb to me, like, that's awful. I'm like, yeah, I know that, but why that word? That's mm. a fascinating, it's not move fast and and create things. It's not move fast and change things. It's break that's a really, inter- to me, that's a really interesting word. And I know it's a software word, but boy, does it have bigger implications when you, and then who's going to fix them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it is. And that's when they're like children, you know, anyone who has a toddler knows <laughs> toddlers break things and they do not pick them up and rebuild them. The, the good ones perhaps do, but the most kids just first learn to break before they learn to build and they better start learning to build. And that's what I'm hoping for, for this next period of time. And that's why I want to do this way. I want them to talk about what, how they're going to use their power correctly. And if they don't, I'm going to slap them silly. That's my plan. That's well, my plan. Uh, well, you, you keep fighting the good fight for us. Um, that All is right. a perfect place to end it. All right. I'll, I'll let you go. I know you've got some uh, other you. places to be. I'm Thank you so much, yeah. Cara. Thank you. All right. See ya. And there she is, the best in the biz, Kara Swisher. My thank you to Lauren Watson, who did the beautiful artwork that you're looking at right now, to James Smith, who this time I actually gave him enough time to edit the show. Uh, normally I just dump it on him uh, with like two minutes notice and, and he scrambles and he hates me for it. But thank you once again to James Smith for, for being a lovely guy and, and putting up with me. And to the good people in Acast in Sydney for telling me to make this show. If you're digging meta, well, you know what to do by now. You have to head on over to Apple Podcasts if you can and throw a couple of stars my way. That'll help other people find the show. If you hate Meta, um, then I'm impressed that you've come this far or you just hate listening at this stage. Either way, uh, let me know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, Send a tweet my way telling me what you hate about the show and I'll be more than happy to at least read it. Um, (laughs) I I may not act on it, but I'll definitely read it and I'll take your, your criticism on board. Next week, I'm going to be chatting to Amanda Palmer, the singer-songwriter Amanda Palmer, who found herself in the middle of the pandemic stuck in New Zealand, which, as an American, there are worse places she could be stuck. It's a fascinating chat. We will see you next week. I love you. Stay safe. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.